for all things sports, the hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, and every personal takes. You're listening to Sideline Story. Hello and thank you for tuning into Sideline Story, your destination for sports news, analysis and discussions. I'm your host, Brandon Yates, and today I'm joined by my co-hosts, Yang Guang and Tian Yu. And today we will be discussing the UEFA Champions League semi-final first leg clashes and what we may also come to expect when the second leg matches take place. We saw so much fantastic action taking place on the pitch some incredible performances from certain attackers and also some very surprising defensive displays as well. Um, and yeah, let's get things going. Yang Guang, I'll start with you. Um, of course, the most hyped up clash, I think, possibly in UEFA Champions League semi-finals for quite some time, was this match between two juggernauts of European football in Manchester City and Real Madrid. And just from your perspective, between Manchester City and Real Madrid in this first leg semi-final clash, who do you think was the better side? And why do you think Pep Guardiola decided to go with no substitutions in this massive clash? Uh, well, either side played a good half. Um, City was dominant in the majority of the first half. They had already uh, made six shots in the first half hour and uh, had like 75% ball possession. And uh, Real basically controlled the game in the second, uh, creating more chances. But uh, it's very interesting that um, both teams scored when the other side was on the upper hand. Uh, it just reflects how lethal these top teams can be. They can always find a chance to give you a heavy punch uh, when they seem to be on the edge of being broken down. Two goals didn't tell the whole story, though. Um, there are so many tactical battles between the two managers mind like undercurrents of the game that control the direction of the game but um, if there must be a side to pick i have to say real madrid was overall playing better uh, they successfully sustained city's attack in the beginning of the game and was so efficient so their first strike of the game converted goal they played more simple football than city um, two or three passes on the front may create chances uh, in the second half, they could have scored a second goal. At least uh, their manager, Carlo Ancelotti, agrees with me. Uh, listen to what he said in the post-game press conference. Yes, we could have won the game, looking at how we played. I think we deserve it. But sometimes it happens that you cannot win the game. We left the pitch with good sensations regarding the second leg next week because we played a good game. Uh, well, as for City, yeah... Um, I don't know why Pep didn't make a single change in the second half when things were clearly not on their side. Uh, plus, they've got so many options on the bench. Phil Foden, Alvarez, Maris can well be adapted to the rhythm of such high-level games. Um, they could have given City extra energy on the pitch. Uh, perhaps Guardiola thought Haaland was a threat that might destroy Real's defense any minute on the break, or uh, Bernardo Silva cannot be replaced um, considering his role in defensive part of the game, or perhaps Pepe is um, preserving the possibilities for the second leg, um, who knows, but uh, just to play with the starting 11 the whole 90 minutes uh, in a time when five substitutions are allowed in a game, 
To me, it's、uh, it's a bit risky, but certainly no problem for Pep.、Um, it also shows his confidence、uh, in his players. Yeah, it must have been quite frustrating for Manchester City,、um, particularly in that first half when they were really dominating possession and looked like they had control of the game. And then, of course, like you said, Vinicius scored that really fantastic opener. I suppose one thing Real Madrid were doing, not just in the first half, but o- overall in the entire game, they were they were quite successful in stretching Manchester City and and you know not keeping them compact. And I think that、um, the wide play, particularly from Vinicius and Rodrigo,、um, was creating defensive problems and creating gaps that the likes of Vinicius and、um, you know Benzema's hold up play. Um, and just Rodrigo's creativity, I think that was creating、um, gaps for shots, and that eventually saw Vinicius with that unbelievable strike. And I think it's just also a, a, a sign of quality teams. You know, you don't have to be dominating possession or have the majority of shots. You just need to be clinical. And I think Madrid were very clinical with the limited shots that they did end up having. But that being said, I think City performed incredibly well away from home. I think they definitely deserve to get the equaliser and the build-up to that. Equalizer was phenomenal. I mean that that steal from、uh, Rodri, that steal, and then the you know the the one-two between、uh, Gundogan and Jack Grealish for that unbelievable strike from、um, Kevin De Bruyne.、Um, he looked so emotional when he、uh, scored that equalizer. I think he actually cried a little bit, if I recall correctly. So, yeah, the the match definitely lived up to its billing, and I think both teams can feel confident going into that second leg with regards to. Pep Guardiola not making any changes. I think that was quite surprising. I think the likes of Phil Foden or、uh, Julian Alvarez could have had a massive impact and maybe opened things up in that second half and maybe grabbed a late winner for City. Although that being said, as well, it looked like Madrid had a better chance of grabbing an equalizer at the end of that game. But yeah, I think things are set up incredibly well for the second leg. I think even though it is going to be at the Etihad, I wouldn't say that any team has the advantage. I think that. Um, it will be very difficult to call to see who goes through to that final. Tianyu, from your perspective, who do you think was better between City and Madrid? And also, what were your thoughts on Pep Guardiola not making any changes for City in that first leg? Well,、uh, two of the strongest clubs in Europe were neck and neck for the whole match, and presented a really high-quality game for us. About which team is the better side? I think in terms of the results, Manchester City got a little advantage since they can be happy to walk away from Santiago Bernabeu's with the score tied heading to Manchester. But in terms of performance in the game, I agree with Yang Guang. I would say Real Madrid is the better one. City was dominant in the first half. They controlled the ball under their feet for most of the time and kept giving the host pressure with their pressing. But Real Madrid didn't panic when facing the Premier League powerhouse. They blocked City's attack with deep-sitting defense. Together with Alaba, Rudiger was the center back to replace the suspended Militao. Both of them, especially Rudiger, did a very good job in marking Erling Haaland. I think Rudiger is kind of the perfect defense player to mark Haaland, as he has the one thing that a lot of the backs in Premier League don't have. At his speed, you could constantly see him sticking to Holland's body with his body, as if they were glued together. So the result of this deep-sitting defense is that Madrid could successfully restrict City to half chances, despite finishing the first half with almost 70% of possession. Manchester City was not able to create good opportunities, 
and the only few threats came from Kevin DeBron and Rodri, who both tested Courtois from distance. But on the Madrid side, you've got to you've got to be amazed by the tactics Carlos Ancelotti set for the game. It seemed to be、uh, the format seemed to be a regular four three three, with、uh, Luka Modric, Toni Kroos, and Valverde on the midfield. But in the game when Madrid got the ball, uh, uh, Ancelotti put the two veterans, Luka Modric and Toni Kroos, in the defense line to save their energy and coordinate. The attacks with their passes and visions, and at the same time he asked two young players, Camavinga and Valverde, who have more energy and stamina, to run back and forth and make combinations. You know, with the two midfield masters on the back, the combinations and、um, positioning can go very smoothly among among the attacking players. So you can constantly see great combinations between Karim Benzema, Vinicius, and Camavinga. And spectacular strike from Vinicius Junior actually came from a beautiful wall pass between Kamavinga and Modric, and、uh, we already know that Vinicius was in perfect form from his great performance in Real Madrid's Copa del Rey final against Osasuna. And did you guys see the rainbow flick he did in the game when facing City's defenders? Yes, yeah, against Carl Walker. Yeah, yeah, it was incredible. Yes, it was really something considering how tense and tiring the game can be between two strong clubs. His breakthroughs could hardly be blocked by the defenders, and his strikes were really accurate. He has become the most threatening weapon for Real Madrid. And in terms of City, unlike a year ago when they were one goal behind, they didn't break down in the pressure. Real Madrid took the、uh, took control of the game in the second half. And made many threats to the city's defense line, but City still played in a very patient way, and their patience finally paid off. Finally, in terms of the fact that、uh, Pep Guardiola made no substitution in the game, I agree with you, Brandon. Just like, you know, what we talked before many times,、uh, Pep can be really stubborn and arrogant sometimes. He wouldn't think about something went wrong with it, with their tactics. And when Erling Haaland was struggling with Rudiger and Alaba's two-on-one marking, Guardiola could have given Alvarez a go a, a chance because, you know, he's more flexible and more difficult to mark. I would say their tactics seemed pretty conservative when they're the visitors, and let's see if if there's gonna be any changes and adaptations Guardiola can make when the second leg return to the Etihad Stadium. Yeah, I think if things remain the same between City and Madrid, particularly in the final moments of the second leg,、um, it'll be a huge test of Pep Guardiola's resolve and you know stubbornness.、Um, because I think at some point he will have to make changes to impact the game, but time will tell what happens. And yeah, just with regards to Vinicius Junior, I think you know alongside Erling Haaland, I think they are the two most impactful attackers in world football at the moment. Of course, there's also the likes of Kylian Mbappe and other players around the world, but I think at the moment those are two players that are just Really feared by defenders around the world. But speaking of Erling Haaland, Tiago, you mentioned Antonio Rudiger, and I think he deserves really special praise for having、uh, an incredible performance against Erling Haaland in this match. And I think he probably had one of the best defensive performances against Erling Haaland than any other defender in world football this season. 
Um, but that being said, I also think the 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 space that was created by the tight marking of Erling Haaland also may have played a role in some of the opportunities that City had, and of course for uh, particularly the space created for Kevin De Bruyne's goal. I think a lot of that had to do with the 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 marking of Erling Haaland as well, and I think it created gaps for the likes of um, Gundogan and um, Kevin De Bruyne that eventually Modric and Tony Cruz got a little bit better at stopping. But just with regards to Erling Haaland, um, Yang Guang, do you think that Erling Haaland was locked by the rail defensive line that Tianyu mentioned? And do you think that he will also have a bigger impact in the return leg? Um, yeah, it's, yes, it's um, rare to see Haaland so quiet this season uh, in this game against the Bayern or even earlier against the Leipzig. He was on fire. Uh, five goals in the game when they beat Leipzig 7-0, and I would call it the best individual performance of the season. Uh, so here, credits must be given to Real's defense. I would say uh, they totally locked up Haaland in terms of his individual performance. Real did a really good job um, by cutting his connection with the rest of the team successfully. Uh, Real always had a player keep his eyes on Haaland and go wherever he went. Uh, Rudiger was making sure Haaland was always in his sight and uh, they guarded him like guarding a center in a basketball game and glue on him, like Tianyu mentioned, restrict the starting of his pace. Uh, meantime, Tony Cruz and Alaba were there ready to help Rudiger all the time. Um, one sentence, never let him lose. Um, Pep Guardiola also gave Real the credit on guarding Haaland. If they pressure you really high and if you can't pass, you must do it. But why pass high to Haaland if we can pass it shortly? Against the man-to-man -man teams, we are used to it. We have missed some, but it was not easy. Rodiger and Alaba closed really well. They are great defenders, really fast. It was not easy to find Haaland. Real Madrid defended really well. Um, and the uh, stats have it. Uh, Haaland touched the ball only 21 times in that first leg, even less than City's keeper, Edison, who had 29. Uh, but he still played a role. Um, like you said, De Bruyne wouldn't have had so much space to shoot in, the, the, in that equalizer if it wasn't Haaland that attracted much of defense in the penalty area. And because of his uh, counter-attack threats, Real couldn't go all out to attack in the final stage of the game. Even though there weren't many personal highlights from Haaland in the first leg, um, he still contributed to the team um, to some extent. I believe he will have his time in the return leg in Manchester for a top striker like him. One or two mistakes from the defenders may lead to disasters. We saw how Upamecano's errors were taken advantage of. So mission is not accomplished for Rudiger and other Real defenders. Uh, the pressure of guarding Haaland still piles and Haaland probably won't stay quiet for two straight games, especially now the tie shifts to England. Yeah, he, he, you know, Erling Haaland really is phenomenal. Even when he isn't scoring goals, he just has such a major impact on any game that he plays in. And I think that he, you know, even though he was incredibly quiet against Madrid, I think that the way that he was defended definitely played a role in City's equaliser. So, yeah, I just think that he is the most dominant force in world football right now. And there's just so much to look forward to in that second leg between Real Madrid and Manchester City. And speaking of an exciting return leg, the first leg between Inter and AC Milan was incredibly exciting as well. And we saw a blistering start from AC Milan, 
from Inter Milan, excuse me, to see them win the first leg clash 2-0. And Tianyu, from your side, what do you think it was that Inter Milan did right to win that first leg? You know, particularly that blistering start that they had that see them uh, that saw them score two very quick early goals. Well, it seemed to me that players for AC Milan got some cold feet in the derby since they have maybe long been disappearing from the UEFA semi-final stage. The head coach Stefano Pioli put many players in the front trying to get an advantage in the control of the ball. But without Rafael Leo, who missed the match because of a thigh injury, their attacking power seemed too, too weak. On many occasions, their strategy was to find Giroud with a long pass. But when Giroud got the ball, there was nobody near him who could come to help. And when when they lost control of the ball, Inter Milan could easily break through their defense line with a through ball. And the defense players seemed to be at a loss in the match. They didn't they didn't keep an eye on the two midfielders, Chahanolu and uh, Makita Yan and gave them many chances to threaten the goalkeeper from a distance. Inter almost killed the game early in the first 20 minutes of the match, and the MVP shining throughout the game must be adding Zeko, who is already 37 years old. He could win in body confrontations, threaten AC Milan's centre-backs with his running, and also created many chances for his teammates. And he helped the team got an early lead with a brilliant strike. So overall, Inter Milan players were just calmer and more motivated than their opponents. They were playing in a very confident and a short way. So the game belonged to Inter Milan, and the final is really in touching distance for them. And uh, in terms of AC Milan, without Rafael Leal, who could constantly create opportunities with his breakthroughs and energy, the team seems simply lacks the attacking forces they need in the front. Maybe the head coach uh, Stefano Lepioli should think about changing their tactics and play in a more pragmatic way, just like what they did when facing Napoli, just to give away possession over the ball and find their chances in counterattacks. Yeah, I must say, I think the loss of Rafael Leal was massive for AC Milan. But besides that, just in the, the, first, the opening minutes of that first half, Inter Milan just played with a lot of confidence. Like you said, there were also huge gaps in the midfield that I think the likes of uh, Mkhitaryan and Changalu also took advantage of. And yeah, Zeko was also fantastic. I think there were two brilliant goals from Inter Milan. Um, yeah, so I think that they played with huge confidence in that first leg. And I think that the 2-0 the win was well-deserved. Um, Yang Guang, from your side, what did Inter do right to win that first leg? And do AC Milan have a chance in the second leg? Uh, well, I think Inter were super efficient and confident when the ball was under their feet. Uh, when they attacked, it's like they could always manage a way to find open teammates and um, made the proper pass forward. Uh, they started every offense early. Uh, when the midfielders or even defenders got the ball, their first reaction was to look up and look for the next connection. Uh, they built up very quickly to make it near AC Milan's box and left the rest of the work to Eden Dzeko and uh, Lotero Martinez. Uh, just to keep the game simple, fast and forward, um, I think it's the formula. Um, and also I think it's what Simone Inzaghi brought to this team. Uh, they look very positive at that moment. I don't think AC Milan would have a chance in the return leg. 
Yeah, I have to agree with you there. And moving into um, some of the VAR controversies that have been discussed in the media in the last week. Um, Yang Guang, any VAR controversies from your side in the two games that you spotted that you maybe agree or disagree with? Um, well, yeah, um, there are a lot of um, controversies revolving around um, Kevin De Bruyne's goal. Uh, well, um, I don't think a VAR check should be involved um, because after the no call by the referee on that um, potential out of play um, possession, City didn't build up from there in a sequent manner to score. Kamavinga did win the ball back for Real. Uh, City's goal scoring process actually started when they intercepted Kamavinga's sloppy pass and they built up from there. So even though the ball was out of play, it's not part of the process that led to De Bruyne's goal. Though it was a very clear mistake by the side referee, he should be the one to be blamed. Then the fourth official was just by the line when the play occurred and he should also and have reminded the referee of it. So to me, it's um, bad refereeing, but the city's goal was valid. Uh, then even more controversies in the Milan Derby, right? Um, Lotero Martinez's penalty was really hard to tell. It's like right on the line between a foul and no call. Um, even though the contact was minor, it did affect Martinez's balance. Um, I think the referee should have sticked to his decision, but it's also understandable that the referee wouldn't want to be the person who decided the game because if Inter converted that penalty, it would be 3-0. Uh, but later in the game, omitting Rad Krunic's punch on Alexandro Bastoni inside the penalty area. <laughs> Come on, what, what was it? A boxing match? Um, the VAR team should have checked on that moment, and um, it would easily a penalty plus red card. Uh, these comments are also agreed by many Chinese fans. Um, perhaps these fans are biased because the owner of Inter Milan is a Chinese and uh, they would speak in favor of them. But to be honest, as a neutral fan in this tie, I just think Inter deserved a 3-0 or even 4-0 victory in the first leg, which was somehow denied by the referee. Yeah, I think that Inter not going on to win by a larger margin might have an impact on that second leg. And yeah, I think there were definitely some VAR calls that potentially went against Inter, um, particularly that last one that you mentioned there, Yang Guang. Um, Tian Yu, from your side, do you agree with uh, Yang Guang's assessment of some of the VAR controversies that were um, occurring in uh, both games? Well, in terms of the Milan Derby, I think actually referee kind of made the right decision. You know, after checking out the video clip of the overturned penalty, we could see that Lautaro Martinez has already got past the two Milan defenders. And it's true that, uh, you know, Simon Kiar had some movements on the hand, but it was not enough to force Lautaro to fall to the ground. And Lautaro had been able to have a one-on-one -on -one against the goalkeeper if he didn't fail on purpose. So I would say Lautaro took a dive and the VAR decision was <laughs> quite right. Uh, but in terms of the controversy around the goal of Kevin De Bruyne, I agree with Yang Guang. We don't know if the ball was really off the pitch, but I think the referee should at least go and check it with a VAR. And instead, they did nothing about it. And it should be their fault for not ver verifying the real situation and causing the controversy. Yeah, hopefully as we approach those two second leg semifinals, we won't see too many controversial VAR decisions or in the final as well. And speaking of the final, just quickly before we finish, guys, I'll ask each of you, who do you think will progress to the final and why? Yang Guang, I'll start with you. 
Um, I think it would be a final between Inter Milan and the City in Istanbul. Uh, look, Real played really well in the first leg, but the City just seems unstoppable at home. Um, they only lost once at home this season. Um, it would be their fortress. And and uh, in the other tie, I don't see Inter lose the 2-0 lead easily at the same stadium next week. Tianyu, who's getting through to the final? Well, judging from the performance and state of the first leg, Inter Milan is definitely more likely to be a finalist than their domestic rival. But turning to the clash between City and Madrid, I would say um, it's still 50 to 50, uh, uh, 50 to 50, as both teams have demonstrated top-level performance. But as a Madrid fan, I'm still gonna <laughs> go for Real Madrid because I believe in the Champions League DNA in this club, and hopefully we can see the team lifting the trophy a record 15th time. Well, both semifinals will still be very exciting indeed. So we definitely have two very fantastic second leg clashes to look forward to. But that is all we have time for on this week's episode of Sideline Story. Thank you so much for joining us. And of course, we will be back next week with our latest topic. And we will see you then. Mm-hmm.